handshake? When do I like get to the, you know, feeling like we're actually family moment? And this is it. It's connect, serve, give. Connect, serve, give. And so we've been playing these short videos each Sunday, giving you opportunities to recognize there are places to serve right now with opportunities. And this is one of them. The Connections booth is that little booth that's in between these two double doors there in the lobby. It's just someone that's a happy face that knows a little bit more than just the average on a Sunday morning can give you a little information, gets you connected, uh, and then honestly gets you maybe to where the kids need to go, points you to the directions of the coffee, uh, and then just welcome you. And for some of you, that may be the perfect entry level place that you need to serve. You just go to kingswaymo.info and click on the volunteer tab and say, I want to join the connections with. They need six to eight people. It's just one time a month. Show up a little early, stick around a little later, and you just become a smiling, happy face and help people connect. And I hope you'll take advantage of that. Along with that, we have connection groups. I know I've been saying this for the last two weeks. We have connection groups signups September 8th. And so that Sunday, we will actually have a physical table in the back of this room. It will have names and opportunities and places for you to join a connect group. And a connect group is just 10 to 12 people meeting twice to four times a month. And they're just connecting and growing together, studying, fellowshipping, hanging out. And it's a one-year commitment. And I, I, I know for, for a lot of you, that's a scary thing. It's a scary thing to, to say, oh, I want to meet new people, or I want to connect, but for some of you, I know you're desperate for it. And wherever you're at on this level, I hope that you'll be ready September 8th. You can literally sprint back there, look at those empty slots, and go. We'll actually have a, a separate page for those that maybe we don't have room for, and I hope you'll have that on your calendar. Connect, serve, give, connect group starts September 8th. I think I got that right. Hopefully I did. Gospel of John. I have to tell you, um, chapter, but we're going to focus on a large chunk of the chapter. The chapter itself is about one story. It's about one kind of witness, but then it backs it up with John the Baptist again at the end. We're not going to get to the end of chapter 3, but we are going to get through the first 21 verses. This story in the, cha- in, in the, in the chapter 3 of the Gospel of John is probably, I was thinking about it, you know, it's like Sports Center Top 10. I was thinking if I had my, the story of today is literally probably top 3. And chapter four may be in the top three as well. So these next two weeks are like legitimately some of my favorite stories, events that are captured in all of the Gospels. And today's is a really, really, really important one because if you looked at John, 1 through 20, John 3, 1 through 21, you recognize that in that section of Scripture is buried a really important verse that at least most of us have heard once or twice in our lifetime. And so what we talk about today is actually in the context, and we'll give you the fill-ins for why John 3.16 sometimes sticks out so much, and why it does have power even beyond the one little verse sometimes that it's memorized to be. But before we get there, I want to tell you why John 3's context inside the four stories that John, the, the, the writer, is trying to give us for why this smashed in chapter 3, before 2, the two stories in chapter 2, and before the last story in chapter 4 is so vital. Let me give you these little bullet points here to help you understand this. In chapter 2, verses uh, 1 through 12, we, we studied the new covenant and the new wine. This was that was Jesus turning water to wine. You remember this? This is the marriage thing. Now, John is recording that for you to recognize this is about a new commitment, a new covenant with God, 
and new wine is new joy. Okay? Then in chapter, the end of chapter 2, we get this. It's a new heaven and a new earth. And it's about the temple. Jesus comes in and clears the temple. Remember, he just wipes it all out and he starts over. So then you're starting to put this together. It's a new marriage with new joy, and it's a new relationship between heaven and earth that is Jesus. And now in chapter 3, we're going to get this. A new relationship with Israel, God's people, in the story of Nicodemus. But then in chapter 4, we're actually going to get a new relationship with outsiders. And it's the Samaritan woman. Now here's what's so cool about this. In these first four stories, they're like four pictures. They're like four paintings. He's describing this new wine, this new relationship, this new covenant that's coming. Then he's talking about what that new covenant is going to do, that new joy is going to restore the relationship between heavenly things and earthly things. And that that relationship is going to be restored not in a physical thing, but in a person. And then he's talking about who specifically that's restoring this new covenant relationship with heaven and earth is with Israel. The very people that have walked with God, that have had the promise of Abraham, but it's also God's personal relationship with at this point. And so we're dead in the center of this. And this, this section of verses is the first time that that new wine and that new relationship is being poured out on a person. It's being poured out in a way that they're going to get to see. They're going to get to hear the vision of what it could look like. They're going to get to see it and feel it. And that person is Nicodemus. Uh, if you remember, I preached a sermon on this guy a long time ago, and I, I told him we don't have to say Nicodemus, we just call him Nikolai. Remember that? We made him Russian, we had some fun with it. Remember that? That way you guys would remember it. But we're going to be talking about Nicodemus today, and I want to start by just reading through the verses that he's in. And it's in chapter 3, and remember the visuals of chapter 3 are very important because we're going to find out quickly, light is what? Life. Light is life. Light is life, and life only comes from belief. So anytime you find a story in this gospel that is at night, it means unbelief and life is not found yet. Make that connection? Light is life, and without life, you're in darkness. And this story starts out at night. Verse 1. Of John chapter 3. <laughs> Verse 1 of John chapter 3. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish council, to the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for there is no one who could perform the signs you are doing. If you are not from God. Now, this was incredible. I'm sure Jesus, all right, this guy's showing up at night, and he's, he's literally like, I don't know if you've ever had someone show up at your door and unexpected, and they show up, and you just got all the things that you think they're going to want, all the things that you think they're going to say, all the things that it could be in your mind. This is so far that if I'm watching this play out that I think is going to happen. Like, this is something that I don't expect this answer. He's like, no, 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 I've heard the signs. I've heard about the new wine. 
heard about the people being healed. I've heard about this stuff. I recognize you're from God. What? Mind-boggling. The Jewish leaders are so against Jesus. He's ruffling too many feathers. He's causing too many problems. But Jesus responds better than I would because he's Jesus. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. <laughs> watch, watch Nicodemus. I love these answers. It's like a three-year-old, right? How can someone be born again when they are old? That sounds like my six-year-old. really does. He's trying. Nicodemus, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. That sounds almost sarcastic. Can you, do you think Jesus is feeling a little lippy with him? He's like, oh, you're, gonna, you're doubting me right now? Oh, gosh. You know, on the backside of a lot of conversations with God, I just feel like God's up there going, oh, my gosh. <laughs> what are you doing? But he's Jesus, so he responds this way. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water, which is a really toned-down way of saying childbirth. Okay, ladies, I recognize that is not an accurate description. That's the one that's used here. Of water, spirit gives birth to spirit. There's something different going on here, and I think Jesus is trying to point to there's more than just the physical Nicodemus, and I wonder if you're going to hear him. You should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. The wind blows... Wherever it pleases, you hear the sound, but you cannot tell where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. That's one of my favorite things. We call the wind. We know what it is, but none of us have ever seen it. We've just seen the effects of it. Nicodemus' answer is awesome. How can this be? It's like all of a sudden his world the invisible is being described. The other than physical is being offered. Listen to him. You are Israel's teacher. This is Jesus talking to Nicodemus. And you do not understand these things? Ooh, I don't want to be a Nicodemus. Oh, I don't want to be a Nicodemus. He's the person that's in charge of teaching, and he's missing the point of what he's supposed to be teaching. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know. We testify to what we have seen, but still your people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of... No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lift up the snakes in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone believes may have eternal life in him. I'll pause. Three cool things that I want to point out from this quick section, because we're going to finish this section in just a second. First one, Jesus tells Nicodemus to be born again. He says he has to be born again. That's a, that's a really, how many of you guys have, I'm a born again Christian. You ever said that before? Anybody in here? I'm a born-again Christian. That, this is where that phrasing, this is where this word comes from, this, this kind of phrasing and idea, this theology, this concept of I am no longer what I was, I am something new. 
But the cool thing is it's not just born again, it's born of the Spirit. Born of the Spirit. This is such a cool thought. I mean, and I, I don't have time to go into the, all the details, but let me just give you an idea here. The first man that was ever born was Adam in Genesis. Nicodemus knows the story of Genesis, and he's recognizing that God took what was formless clay, formed it into Adam, and then he what? He breathed into him, is the words that it's described. It's the word rojo, all right? Rojo, it's breath. Uh, that breath word also can be synonymous with life. He put life into his nostrils. But the word rojo really translates wind. So this spirit is the wind. What did he use as an illustration physically to describe the spirit? The wind moves about, but you cannot see it, and you cannot know where it's going. Genesis chapter 2, the roho of God enters the breath, the wind of God enters Adam, and he is born. And Nicodemus is standing in front of Jesus going, I don't think I can get back in my mom's womb, man. I ain't going to work. And Jesus is going, no, 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 no. You need my rojo. You need my breath. You need my life in you. But he didn't see it. The last thing he says is this crazy thing. It's about some sort of snake. Moses is supposed to put something up and then people are, the son of man is like Moses and a snake on a pole in the desert. How many of y'all, when you read that, if you all are reading John, you were like, I'd check, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> it's in this book that none of us really want to read if we ever have, but, but must at some point at least try. It's in, in numbers, all right? <laughs> Literally, if you don't like math, you see that book, you're like, can we just take it out? <laughs> we just throw it over here. But it happened, the Hebrews have left Egypt. They're on the road to the promised land, but they are wandering around for 40 years. And they're grumbling like teenagers on a road trip. I need food. I'm hungry. I want some, something else. And finally, God just goes, hey, you think you had it better back in Egypt. Let me just remind you that I'm the God that freed you from the slavery. Let me just remind you that I'm the God that is faithful enough to take you to a place of milk and honey that is flowing, that is your own. And so these serpents start biting people and killing them. And then the people cry out to God and they go, just kidding, we're wrong. We want to come back. We, we've forgotten. And Moses is forced to create a snake on a pole, which is actually more like a cross. And he lays it in front of the camp and people that are bitten go up and they stand in front of this snake, and they are healed. Now, you may hear that story and go, wow, it's nuts. I've never heard that before. You go read it, Numbers 21, if you want. The point of it is not that you, you would remember that and go, oh, the conviction. I remember when I was bit by a snake and got healed. No, that is not the point of this. The point of this is the imagery. It's the imagery. You're going to see why in a bit. But it's the snake. Where did the rojo leave Adam in the garden? When the serpent tempted Eve. When the serpent stepped in, his bite, his temptation is what has caused the fall. Eve's choice. 
And just like the poison of a real bite, it has taken effect. And it is causing problems, and they need a new cure. You feel that tension? Yeah. Now, here's the crazy thing. We don't get anything else about Nicodemus. This is the most frustrating thing ever, right? Because what I want to be able to read then is like the rest of the chapter where Nicodemus is like, yes, Jesus, you're it. I surrender all to you. I give it all. Heal my snake bite. Breathe your roho into me. May I be born again. May I follow you. That's what I want to read. But we don't get that. We get a whole lot of silence. We get a whole lot of nothing. And in fact, the next verse, if you're following along, is verse 16. But we're not going to go there right now. I want to go somewhere else. I want to tell you the story. Can we do that? You guys remember that? Let's talk about the rest of the story. Because I can't leave you on a cliffhanger. I can't do it. You like Steve Harvey? I love Steve Harvey. Oh, so Parha. Josh. Thank goodness I asked that. I'm going to write that in my notes because I wrote Steve. It's Paul Harvey. Bless your soul. I'm sorry. It's that old K-Love radio. It's a little crackly. All right? <laughs> now I'm going to be as red as my shirt for the rest of the sermon. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Let me breathe for a minute. Let's go to chapter 7 before I lose my mind. All right, so we got the first part, chapter 3. All right? Thank goodness I didn't put Steve Harvey up there. You guys would have been just been done. Chapter 3, put that one up there. Boom. Boom. Maybe not. Chapter 7 is the next one. All right? Now, chapter 7, you need to know the context. Chapter 7 is this. The Pharisees, who Nicodemus is on, the ruling court, they're having a behind-the-closed-doors discussion on Jesus. And Nicodemus, at this point, walked away from this conversation going, nah, I don't believe. It's at night, remember? I don't believe. But then we get this little verse, little window, and it's cool. Here it is. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, the Pharisees, he asked this question about Jesus to his friends. Remember, he was scared to go, and he's asking this question now in front of them. Does our law condemn a man without first hearing to find out what he has been doing? Oh, isn't that a crazy thing? Like, can you feel him testing the waters right here? Like, hey, can I get your permission to go try and talk to him? Knowing that he already has. It's the slightest bit of doubt. It's the slightest bit of, I want to go talk to him again. Maybe, maybe we all should go talk to him. I, I, I had, you know, you can almost feel him wanting to go, I want, I, I talked to him, you guys. I, I know, I know, don't get mad, don't get mad, don't get mad. But I've been thinking, and I think we need to hear him out. And what, you know what's powerful about the way he asks is he uses the weapon that the Pharisees are incredibly powerful at wielding, and it's the law. The 600-plus rules and regulations that they would shape the nation of Israel to what they saw 
as fit without the heart of God. And so he uses that and he says, hey, doesn't the law tell us to like go and talk to him first? You can feel his heart grow maybe one size larger. We're going to go Grinch. He's just right on the edge. But then this is his friend's reply. (laughs) Are you from Galilee? That's where Jesus is from. It's the other side of the tracks. It's not a good place. Nothing good happens there. Look into it, and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. And at that point, Nicodemus just shuts up. You ever been afraid to talk about Jesus in front of some people that you know don't really? You're not even sure where they're really at on that yet? Because when we get to chapter 19, you're going to be blown away. Because that's the rest of the story. Chapter 19, verses 18 through 40. Jesus has uh, been crucified. I know we're skipping to the end of the book. He's actually passed away. But there's this crazy thing that happens. It blows my mind. Nicodemus shows up. Acts chapter 19, verses, I think it's 38. Here it is. 18, I'm wrong. Thanks, Sam. I jacked that up, man. I'm going to just take it from here, buddy. Thirty-eight later, this is after Jesus is dead and gone. Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was what? A disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared who? The Jewish leaders. He was accompanied by who? Nicodemus. Now, here's the best part of this story. No one gets their body back. No one gets their body back when they're crucified. I'm going to stay up here. Stay with me up here. When he gets permission from Pilate, there are estimates of hundreds of thousands of dollars in modern currency that had to change hands. See, the body would be left on the cross to rot where the bones and everything would just fall right where they're at. That's why it was called the the, the skull, the hill of the skull, because all the bodies were just left in a pile at the bottom. Because that was the point of the cross was not the pain. The point of the cross was the shame. Was your body left in the sun to rot? And for anyone else who came and saw, they would know the power of, of Rome, and know your full shame. But he came and took the body away. And he was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who visited with Jesus, who was one of the rulers that Joseph was scared of. And he brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, $40,000. That's what I found the closest estimate. And taking Jesus' body, 
two of them wrapped it with spices and strips of linen, and they, and this with the accordance to the Jewish burial customs. Such that right there, the burial customs, you have to know this. That is them saying, you are not a thief. You are not someone meant to be killed on a hill. You are not a criminal. You are full and restored, and I give you a proper peace in their eyes. So the rest of the story with Nicodemus, as he goes from at night to a person in front of the most powerful man in Rome asking for his body and paying to make it right. Before we get to 16, I want to start in 18. I know, we're going to go 18, 17, 16. I wanted you to see why John pokes his head into this story to finish it before we get to 19 chapters. So look at verse 18. This is John talking about the situation of Nicodemus, knowing the full story of Jesus. Who believes in me is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. That's chapter 3. That's in John 1 through 15 of chapter 3. Now look at at 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That is John chapter 7 of Nicodemus' story. He is convinced. He's standing in front of the leaders saying, I don't think this guy's here to condemn us. I don't think this guy's here to hurt us. I think he's here to help. And John, the recorder, is pointing that out. And guess what happens in verse 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Tell me that that isn't John 19 when Nicodemus is standing in front of the broken body of Jesus. Extended like the very restoring object of Numbers chapter 21, offering the healing roho of new life and dying in the place of those. That's John 3.16 in Nicodemus' eyes. He starts to put all the pieces together. Born again, it's not about this world. It's about what's going on unseen in the temple at this very moment that a new relationship, a new wine, a new heaven and earth are being formed like a new wind that blows through the world, a Savior, the Son of Man, died for me. 
That's Nicodemus' story. Knowing the symbolism of life and light, I wanted to read the life and death version of the last three verses of this chapter for you. John 3, 19 through 21. This is the verdict then of this whole thing that John has laid out for you. This is the whole thing. This is the verdict. Life has come into the world, but people love death instead of life because their deeds revealed it. Everyone who hates the life will not come into the life for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the life so that it may be seen plainly what they have done has been seen and has been in the sight of God. Nicodemus's story goes from a morning or an evening of disbelief in the dark to John ending this section going, life is found when you bring things into the light. You have to be ready to be exposed, to be seen. The whole point of this entire section, if I can put it into a nutshell, if you got confused and lost, it's okay. You're supposed to be reading this book, and I hope you are. And if you have questions, please come talk to me. This is an incredibly powerful story. But here it is. This is Nicodemus. This is us. This is John the writer. You are seen clearly, loved deeply, and restored completely by Jesus. Really loved deeply and restored completely by Jesus. The first part of that is just you've seen clearly. Man, I know my brokenness. The older I get, the more I see my brokenness. I thought things would get better. I feel like all I do is get a longer list. It's not a reason to give up, but it's definitely a reason to pull into Jesus. I value love more than I ever have in my life. Not lust, not pleasure, love. Real love. <clears throat> Selfless love. And I long to be what I wished I could be when I was a child. Pure, whole, restored. Not broken. And I find it fitting that someone that knows almost the entire Bible at the time at heart and who's someone who has a position of power to influence an entire nation finds himself at the foot of a cross. Be true. That he knew him in his innermost being, that he knew him and that he would speak life into him and bring full restoration and love. And that's why John puts 3.16 and this entire chapter right here 
Because you and I need to know God sees you, He loves you, and He longs to restore you. He has hung on a cross and He has risen from the grave to prove that He can. And then He does. And He'll do it again. Wherever you're at. John's gospel is all about belief. And Nicodemus is an incredible story of such. Don't miss next week's story. Chapter 4. It's going to get flushed out even more. You are clearly seen, deeply loved, and completely restored if you choose to believe in Jesus. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Nicodemus' story is so powerful to me that someone that would know so much, that someone that would walk with religion and upbringing and holiness and would, and would strive so long to do what they felt like God would call them to, but would need in the end, not their effort, not more information, but would need a savior that would need someone to come into their life that would actually breathe something new, bring something different, offer something full and real. 